you are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 27th of March. The nightly deep dig, or the morning deep dig, on the nightly playoffs. We'll look at what happened last night and the impact of all of it. We'll digest a little bit more of the Nurkic injury and its ripple effect on things. So we talked about it a good deal yesterday. The Donovan Bridge dedication yields to a Donovan deep dive. Let's see how he's different or similar to last year. And the playoffs without LeBron and the Lakers as they come to town. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers about your Utah Jazz. You can get it every day. It's available on the new app, Himalaya. Have you downloaded Himalaya yet? I have. Enjoying it a great deal. The curated playlists are off. A nice little touch. The layout looks good. We want things to look good. Good categories, good recommendations for you. Little YouTube influencers. All different stuff at the new app, Himalaya. We're also available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. That's Apple Podcasts. Uh, as well as Spotify. And you can tell your smart device when you get in the car to play podcast. Locked on Jazz. I'm the radio voice of the Jazz. Jazz NBA Insider hopefully bring you Insight you cannot get anywhere else. You can follow me on Twitter at LockedOnSports. So, a bunch of things to do today. I think I laid it out there. We're going to look back at last night, talk a little bit about the the night in the NBA. And then we will deep dive on uh, Donovan and then kind of discuss the playoffs a little bit. So, All right, last night's ball games. uh, There were three that impacted the Western Conference. The Spurs went to Charlotte um, and almost were very Spursian. Uh, they were losing much of the night and then outscored Charlotte in the fourth quarter uh, to come back in a manner that... Um, and then you were certain by the time that they forced it to overtime. They, they had been trailing. Charlotte had been ahead by eight or nine and even... Uh, probably in the, most of the fourth quarter, if the Spurs had led most of the third quarter. And you were utterly convinced, of course, that once it went to overtime and the Spurs got back at it, that, that this was going to be a um, a Spurs win, and it didn't happen that way. Uh, by the way, Kemba Walker hit a layup with 42 seconds left, and then uh, DeRozan missed two shots late, one of them uh, at the horn. Uh, interesting little note in this game, by the way, Frank Kaminsky, who was kind of, out there and gone and they'd given up on his now suddenly playing 32 minutes a night and been really pretty good for Charlotte 15 points 10 rebounds two assists last night um so it's interesting to kind of watch that Mike Michael Kidd Gilchrist didn't play Tony Parker didn't play uh Jeremy Lamb who was so great earlier this year just played 21 minutes um so Charlotte's kind of in a weird place where they're playing some guys and doing some things but Frank Kaminsky is actually playing fairly well they didn't pick up his option uh, so he's, I don't know, it would be worth just kind of taking a look at, I guess, um, and digesting and understanding. But he's seven feet, he's versatile, he does a lot of things on the outside. He shot 35% from three this year. Um, he's not a player I ever thought out of college was going to be any good, but um, it's 
The last 10 games, he's been playing about 22 minutes a night. He has not shot it great in that whole stretch. He shot it great last night. Uh, he's been 39% and 30% for three. Anyway, Spurs lose it 125 uh, to 116 uh, last night. And so that's the 32nd loss of the year for the Spurs. They're just not a good road team. They're 14 and 25 on the road this year. All right, so that was good for the Jazz. Boston and Cleveland played. We didn't really care. Orlando and Miami played, which is a pretty big game in the Eastern Conference. We don't follow as much, but Orlando jumped a half game ahead of Miami uh, in the playoff picture with that win. Orlando has won six straight, being very un-Orlando Magic-like, and won at 104-99. That was the Chris Bosh retirement night. Um, So that was kind of cool to see, and Bosh was awesome if you haven't seen the videos uh, of that. Uh, it's pretty pretty cool little event uh, that they put on. Miami does those things well. Uh, Houston lost to Milwaukee last night. I don't think that impacts us a great deal. 108-94, to and then the Clippers beat Minnesota 122-111, to and Denver won, which I don't think impacts us um, at all. So if we walk through these things and just kind of go back to our little friendly, fun chart that we have uh, and, and look at how... Um, it's playing out. It's it's so incredible that for the second straight year, it's virtually the exact same as what we experienced have experienced. That um, so Denver beat Detroit. That was an eighty three percent win probability. The teams the eighty three percent win probability games are now twenty three and three. Um, Houston lost last night. It doesn't really impact things because it was a thirty two win probability. Um, they're Teams are still 15-9 and nine in those games, incredibly. San Antonio's loss wasn't that big a deal because that was a 40-win uh, probability. And so we probably knew that that was, um, you know, th- that was probably, you know, the Spurs have probably one other loss the rest of the way. They, they play at Denver on a back end of a back-to-back. And otherwise, I think they win out now. Um now, I've said that about a few teams, um, and they didn't. And then uh, the Clippers, though, that's incredible. The Clippers win a 26%. Now, the Minnesota's not quite that anymore, but that was a 26% win probability um, for the Clippers. Uh, they have just been remarkable in this stretch and clutched up, and uh, their next one is the they play the Bucks. They are expected to lose to the Bucks. And they have a Rockets and a Warriors game uh, before it's done, before they play us in the final night of the season. So let's look at where things sit. Uh, 5.38, we'll do 5.38 and unpredictable today. Um, 5.38 graphs, just nicer, that's why we use them. Uh, The Warriors are at 58, the Rockets um, and the Nuggets. the Nuggets are at 55, and the Rockets are at 52. So that loss slipped them back a little, but I just don't think it has an impact. The Blazers are at 51, but it'll be interesting to see. This doesn't equate for Nurkic being out. Jazz are at 50, which has us um, losing two more games the rest of the way, which if I'm going to say everybody else is going to win out, I would look at the Jazz and think that they're going to have a pretty good run here too. So I think that seems unlikely. And this one has the Blazers at 51. I mean, I would say with the Blazer injury that all of a sudden, and the Jazz probably having that tiebreaker, that home court in the first round is probably back in play if the Jazz win out. Well, it is definitely back in play if the Jazz win out. 
Uh, Oklahoma City is at 48. The Clippers are at 48 as well. And the Spurs are at 48 as well. So, unpredictable I love because they give us the ch- odds and chances. Um, Golden State is at a 89% for the one seed. Denver is at a 68% for the second seed. Houston is at um, is a little less. It's at 44% for the third seed. Utah comes out as their third best team. At, this was as of yesterday, so it doesn't have Houston's loss. Um, and has us as a 33% chance for the fifth seed, a 24% chance for the fourth seed, a 19% chance for the sixth seed. Portland, it has as a 28% chance for the fourth seed, still a 32% chance for the third seed. So they have Portland heading in a positive direction because this does not understand injuries. Portland plays the Bulls, then the Hawks, then the Pistons on the road, then Minnesota, then Memphis, then back-to-back Denvers, a Lakers, and a Kings to close. I just... I don't have any idea. The Nurkic injury is real because now Zach Collins and Ennis Cantor are their centers. And obviously, with no disrespect, without C.J. McCollum playing right now and without Nurkic, that's the primary team you'd like to play in the playoffs. Now, you, I don't know how teams are going to jockey for it. Um, and obviously, you'd like to be four to play them at five uh, is, is the ideal circumstance here. Uh, the Spurs are 33% six, 30% seven, 23% eight. The Clippers are 41% 8, 30% 7, maybe misunderstanding how well they're playing. And Oklahoma City is 27% 8, 22% 7. How about first round Oklahoma City, Denver, or Oklahoma City uh, against the Warriors? Oklahoma City, Denver, everyone's going to take Oklahoma City. Right? Would be my guess. Um, the, this system, by the way, has the Jazz as the third best team in the NBA right now. Um, by far the best defensive team in the league. Um, that's how they look at it. They have their own metric, which is um, offensive generic points favored, defensive generic points favored, generic over under. Like what you're... Betting over-under would be against a league average team. Um, and we're actually not very good at that and then our win-loss. Um, generics points favored where th- they have us as the third best team in the league behind Milwaukee and Golden State. Seems high. So. All right. Um, Donovan Mitchell. Bridge dedication and a deep dive when we continue. Today's show is brought to you by... The store, 6200 South, 20th East, home of the Locked On Mud Slide ice cream. That's right, Leatherbees and the store have combined with my favorite cookie in the world and turned into a Locked On Mud Slide cookie. You also have the Lochness Monster ice cream, which is uh, a vanilla ice cream with caramel swirls and mudslide cookies inside of it, and then the Locked on mudslide ice cream is the coffee mocha ice cream with the mudslide cookies inside 
Love the store. You know what I love, though? I love what Jeff and Scott are all about, which is highlighting the local artists, giving you a community feel, having the young high school kids helping the um, the older customers out with their bags, making you feel like you belong into your little, your little norm, your little cheers aspect of things in life. Uh, whether it's the chips from the woman at the wedding, whether it's the cotton candy, whether it's the June pies, whether it's the great meats in the back that they took the time to go on a long taste testing uh, outing with to go f- find out what they, um, what it is that they uh, like the best and is, is the best out there. The, the level of detail to every item, whether it's the La Cologne coffee that they brought in just because they know I like it after skiing. Uh, it's great. It's the store. It's 6200 South. It's at 20th East. Cottonwood Ace is right next door as well. And I think you'll really find a great community feel. Everyone I've brought there loves it. I took a bunch of the Red Bull guys when they were in town over there and absolutely loved it. Uh, I have another good friend of mine who was came. This is the greatest place I've ever been. Um, there's just a wonderful, comfortable vibe and feel inside of the store. Yesterday was the bridge dedication for Donovan over at the Gateway. Great crowd. My Instagram was loaded up with it. Um, Kristen Kenny did a nice job over there with it. Um, Jazz did nice, cool artist work. They've done a great job this year with a lot of artist work around town um, and murals and things of that nature. So Donovan, of course, was amazing with the crowd because he's just legitimate and amazing. Uh, also, Royce O'Neal and George Niang yesterday were out with Junior Jazz, which is probably the best program um, any team runs in the league is that Junior Jazz program. Great to see that. Um, so it was cool. Donovan, very nice about the two, little two years he's been there and how the community's embraced him and just making him a star. And he seems very comfortable in his own skin as a star right now. He does not seem to be wilting away from it. He does not seem to be overwhelmed by it. Um, he's pretty. He's a pretty remarkable kid. His mom and dad did. Did a great job. Jordan, his younger sister, seems to be that too. I had a great conversation just with Nicole, his mom, the other day about what it's like for Jordan to be Donovan's um, younger sister, and and it's you know how she's dealing with it, and just the thought that Nicole puts into it is was just kind of awe inspiring. She's she's a great. Not I'm actually have talked to her about possibly doing an interview just so we could understand a little bit. It was interesting to meet Donovan's fourth grade teacher the other day. Uh, she shared that Donovan, at that age of his life, was clearly the Clearly had star power. Everyone followed him, but he, he thought athletics was the coolest thing. And then as she watched him um, grow up and develop, he began to realize that there was great value being both athletically gifted as well as um, being smart and being a good student and getting the accolades for that as well. Um, and he was student body president uh, at Brewster Academy by the time um, he got to high school and um, that level. So this is a kid who has had this magnetism his entire career and had this this you know unique vibe to who he is. Let's look at him as a player for a few minutes. Um, so I thought we'd look at a few things just similar to different to a year ago. The narrative obviously was that he was struggling early in the year. I just find it a very difficult narrative to swallow. I really do believe that there's a legitimate case for Donovan to be third-team All-NBA guard, Bradley Beal's team. Um, the, the other choices are Bradley Beal's team, Washington's 30 and 45. Charlotte is 35 and 39 and now making a playoff push, having won four in a row, but they're still a game and a half out of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Ben Simmons, that's a legitimate conversation. We get back to the Donovan Mitchell versus Ben Simmons conversation. Philadelphia's 47 and 27. But on the other end, Philadelphia's 47 and 27, and the in and the Jazz are 44 and 30 that their records are the same if you 
if you understand the East compared to the West. So, um, you know, I just think when you start figuring out who that last, and frankly, I would argue it's a legitimate discussion of whether or not Donovan should be in over Russell Westbrook. Like, I just, you know, we got the same record as they do. Um, why are Paul George an MVP candidate and Russell Westbrook's guaranteed All-NBA and Donovan and Rudy are out of the conversation? Like, this is seems silly. Um, so Donovan's taking three more shots a game this year. He's playing the exact same amount of minutes load, and he's shooting the exact same amount of threes, making the exact same, shooting .2 less. So he's gone from 34 to 35% on his three-point shooting, which is worth noting. His effective field goal percentage is down a tiny bit, and we'll get to why. But his free throws are up 1.1, which is good. Worth noting, by the way, most players, This is I said this a lot during the offseason, do not make a jump year one to year two, particularly players that jumped in the first year. So the expectation for Donovan to get better in year two is actually pretty faulty. He might get better in year two to year three when he has a second offseason. He knows how to do it. He didn't have a great start to his season. Now he has that understanding. Um, So that I I think you got to understand that this is not, it's not the expectation for him to improve year one to year two is there's no statistical backing or precedent that that actually happens. It happens on players who have a bad first year, but not players who have a good first year. Um, so he's taking 1.1 free th- more free throws a game. He's grabbing 0.4 rebounds and is getting 0.4 more assists a game. That's actually considerable considering the fact that he's playing the exact same amount of games um, in what he's doing. So I mean, if his per 36 minutes are just, which is basically his regular 100 possession numbers, are just up a slight um, but if you look at his advanced stats, his true shooting percentage is down one percentage point. And that's because the percentage of shots he's taking have become more mid-range based than they were in the past. Um, he took 40% of his shots last year as threes. This year it's down to 34%. He is taking, uh, his, he's taking 13% of his shots from 10 to 16 feet. Last year was 10%. He's taking 23% of his shots from 3 to 10 feet, where a year ago it was 15%. That's the big change. That floater in the middle of the lane is the shot he has, he has kind of gone to this year. and He's getting the basket less, about 4% less of his shots, um, and he's taking about 6% less threes, and they're all happening in that mid-range. The, the, the problem with that is that he's not particularly good at that. He's at 35% on that shot. This is a little bit of defenses kind of forcing him into it and adjusting it um, him to that a little bit. Um, he the great sign though is that his free throw rate is way up. He went from, um, and so that makes him a bit more efficient um, with his effective field goal percentage being down. His assist rate is up one point five percent, and his turnover rate is down one percent. His usage is actually up. He's actually shooting more this year than he did last year, which is hard to believe. Um, so, you know, an interesting little look at kind of who what he's doing his impact on the team um is still great it's not as dominant as it was last year um and he's played less minutes this year at point guard than he did last year he played 34 percent of his minutes at point guard this year he played 26 um and you know we've had long long conversations about that and what is what is best for him uh digging into the second tier look at his numbers a little bit um and I, I thought some of the tracking stuff might be interesting um, to look at from one year to the other. Uh, his off-the-bounce three, he's taking four of them a game this year, and he's at 
38.5%. He's taking three catch-and-shoots a game, and he's at 39.5%. Um, so three. I've, I've rounded up slightly, not on the shooting percentage, but on the, um, on the numbers. Contrast that to last year, and he took four pull-ups a game at 29.3%. So that has gotten better. His off-the-bounce three has gone from 29.3 to 32.5. His catch-and-shoot, he's taking the exact same amount um, at three a game. Actually, not more. He was at 2.8. And he last year hit 40.6, and this year he's hit 39.5. So it's virtually the same. Um, and I think that's kind of an interesting little mix. Is he using his possessions at different times on the clock? In other words, is he getting stuck with the late shot clock? Last seven seconds of the clock possessions. This year he's used 19.4% of his uh, possessions in that range. He in the From 4 to 7, he shoots 44%. From 0 to 4, he shoots 23%. The... Um, in 17-18, he only used, he used 18% of his shots in those possessions, so not quite. And he was 43 and 31. So he was actually a little better late in the clock a year ago um, than he has been this year. And then the last part is that his clutch numbers just are not particularly good this year. Um, and we can look at that. He's just We just go to him and particularly late um, – he struggles uh, with some of that. So in 17, 18, there's two ways to look at clutch. Final five minutes uh, with five left. He took 85 shot attempts last year and 21 free throws. So if you kind of quickly do some math on that, it's about 100 um, possessions last year in the clutch. And he shot 40% from the field and 27% um, from three. This year, he's at about... He's actually used a little bit more. He's gone to the free throw line more because he has 35 free throw attempts to 80 field goal attempts, so that's great. He's shooting 35% and 29% from three. So it's actually a pretty similar um, and probably equally as efficient when you get down to it. Now, you get down to those one possession games, final three minutes, three left, and he slips a little bit. The whole team does, actually. He's at 29%, 11 of 38. He has gone to the free throw line 15 times, which is a lot in those circumstances, to his credit. And he's 3 of 13 um, from 3 for just 23% in the final three minutes of a game that's within three. A year, this is pretty small sample size theater, so you have to be a little careful with it. Um, a year ago, um, it was he was actually... 11 of 37 for 20, 30%, but again, still struggled from three, two of 14. So he's in his career, five of 27 on threes in the final three minutes of a game within three. Again, he went to the free throw line 14 times though. So he's getting the line late in games in pretty impressive fashion. All right. So that's just kind of a deep, my my overall take is I actually think he's gotten better, um, which is, which is rare for someone to get better in their um, second season when they had a breakout first season. Today's show is brought to you in part by Slow the Flow. I've been asking you guys for all of the things you do. Sometimes it's as simple as just being really diligent on t- 
slowing the flow by making sure that you stop water usage when you're brushing your teeth or when you're washing your face or all those times where it's just sitting there running. It's amazing how much you can do um, to help the sh- help our water uh, situation. Michael Patterson talked about this. He said, my slow the flow story is simple. When I brush my teeth, I have a terrible habit of letting the sink run. Now, I'm not a complete idiot. I wet my toothbrush and turn the sink off and brush my teeth. But when I feel like I'm almost done, I turn the sink back on. I usually feel compelled to do an extra 15 or 30 seconds of cleansing before I finish off. Well, now I hear the word slow the flow in my mind. Instead of turning the sink on early, I try to walk away from the sink into my closet so that I don't waste the quarter gallon of water when I turn the sink on. They see the little things we do to slow the flow. I've told you I have my Google um, home telling me the timer when I jump in to the shower so that I'm able um, to stop to use a little less shower and put a timer on me. So uh, feel free to find your own little manner by which you want to slow the flow. Save H2O. Slow the flow dot org. The Lakers come in as a non-playoff team. So this is, you know, frankly really bad for the NBA. Um, to have LeBron out of the playoffs, I think the playoffs are going to be a dud, frankly. I don't think that a Warrior Houston or a Warrior Denver or a Warrior Utah, well, I don't think that's actually possible if we're 4-5, um, Western Conference Final is going to move the meter any for anyone. Um, I actually think that if Oklahoma City ends up playing the Warriors in the first round, that'll be the most marquee matchup series we have, and I'm not sure the public's ready for um, big ratings in the first round of the playoffs. Um, I don't think the Eastern Conference is going to move the meter unless maybe it's Philadelphia, but a Milwaukee-Toronto, and I and I will tell you this, I am super, super uh, down on Toronto right now, and I might not be right on this, Um I just think, again, you know me, I don't like narratives that don't back things up. So the narrative is that Nick Nurse has done this incredible job with his team and Nick Nurse is all the creativity and, frankly, spreading the floor and Dwayne Key. Okay, like, the facts are really different. Um, The facts on Toronto is last year they were the third best offense in the league, this year the seventh. Their defense is still ranked fifth and fifth. And then the one that gets interesting is we were just talking about final three, and, and I don't know whether or not, you know, again, small sample size theater, so how much do you want to look into this? But in the final five minutes of a game within five, um, there, the, by the way, the final five minutes of the game within five, the Jazz offense is third in the league. It gets down to a single possession game, it gets a little ugly. Um, Toronto's offense is 18th. If you go down and take this to a single possession game, so we're in the final three minutes within three. And again, sample size gets small here, so making a lot of observations on this should be one that you... The Jazz offense now drops to 21st in the league. Toronto's is 20th. Now, I think that's a concern for the Jazz, but I don't actually think the Jazz are about to win the Western Conference final, Western Conference. I do think that Toronto is being talked about winning the East. The other one that's interesting is that Golden State has not been very good in the circumstances here. But if you look at the worst teams in the league, this there's something to this kind of setting where I think it tells you a little bit about who you are. The worst offensive teams are Chicago, Memphis, New Orleans, Minnesota. It's super interesting for, um, you know, 
Carl Anthony Towns should be great in that circumstance. I mean, really, truly should be like the most unguardable player. Orlando, Dallas, Atlanta, New York, Miami, then the Jazz. So that's not great for us. We've only played 16 games that have done this where the rest of the league is in the 30 range. Where we've played far fewer late, close late games than anyone in the league again. Um, Toronto is then 20th. Oklahoma City is 19th. Like, I, there's something that I think should be concerning on that. The other one that I would say is a little concerning to me in this is Denver. In 34 games, Denver's 25-9 and nine in games that have been decided by, by one possess or that were within one possession the final three minutes, have a defensive rating of 74.6. Like, the league average offense is 110. The league average offense late in the game is 106. How is Denver's defensive rating 74.6? To me, that's getting lucky. And I don't think you get lucky in the playoffs. Um, and if you look at it, um, let me see if I can find this for you. Um, there's a crazy number here. Even if we just do the clutch, which is the final five minutes of five minutes left, opponents three point shooting against Denver is 21%. Now to Denver's credit, they're not getting a lot off, but 21%. Um, Denver deserves credit for not allowing a lot of them, but 21% is getting lucky. In the final three minutes of a game that's within three, a team's opponents against Denver this year from three-point range are 7 of 45. No, 7 of 36. They're 7 of 45 against the Clippers. It seems the league average is 33%. Again, we're not as good in these in these times. Teams shoot 43% overall in this Turk and 33% from the field. It's, you know, we're not as efficient. That's why Donovan, by the way, Donovan's numbers were low, but like if you look at his clutch numbers of 40 and 30 in the league average, it's right around where teams are. Um it it jumps out to me. Jasmine at, have it at 38 and 31, so that's close. It just jumps out to me that the Clippers are sitting around with teams going 7 of 45, and Denver teams have gone 7 of 36. I, I don't I don't know if I think that lasts. The Clippers, interestingly, though, have not gotten a lot of... They're 19 and 9. They're not 25 and 9. And then there's that weird thing, by the way, that the league average team has played 28 of these games, and the Jazz have played 16, which is the second year in a row. Last year, for the season, the league average team played about 31 or 32, as you'd suspect, and we played 24. Same thing, by the way. Um, League average shooting last year in the circumstance was 40%, and three-point shooting was 30%, 29.3. That's kind of how it was. And it would lead me to believe, by the way, that one year... You know, I think maybe part of, to Denver's defense, last year Denver got unlucky. Teams hit 39% of shots late in game against them from three. Um, so maybe they, you know, maybe this is just equal small sample size theater and everything's equalizing out. Um, but, you know, we'll see. All right, those are some thoughts for you um, on the playoffs, on some teams. It wasn't entirely where I was going, but the Lakers are in town. Um, I haven't seen the latest. The word I had yesterday is LeBron was not coming to town, and it's so early this morning I forgot to check. So let's um, – I don't see um, – I didn't see any news. of. He had a big game last night, though. He had 23-14 uh, or 7-14. and 14, So um, 
I don't know. I haven't seen the latest on whether he's coming to town, so I don't have that for you. Have a great one. Oh, by the way, Epe's Book Club last night was great, so go look at hashtag Epe's Book Club. Lock, MLB is out there for you. Uh, Sully, uh, Paul Francis Sullivan, does a fun job with Locked on MLB podcast. If you're a baseball fan, go check that out. It's all Tell your smart device to play Locked on MLB or go to Himalaya and check out the new app with their curated playlists, all of their fun little things uh, that they've done to make it. It's got a great look, super search engines to it. Uh, plays beautifully. Uh, check it all out at the new app, Himalaya, available on Apple Store or your Google Store. Have a great one.